0: Okay, John, today we are going to talk to young men about budgeting, how to do money. And I guess maybe we should start with this question, John, what do you think most people would say to this question when it comes to money and finances? Who do you listen to? Like, where do you get your information from when you're trying to, I don't know what young guys would say today, when you're trying to adult, right? You're trying to learn how to do your budget, right?
1: And that's the issue because there is definitely no shortage of voices when it comes to how do you do your money and whether that's popular opinion, culture, it could be influencers and guys like Robert Kiyosaki, or even for believers on this podcast. I'm sure a lot of guys on our podcast have heard of Dave Ramsey and some of his principles. And I'm not, I'm not arguing with any of his principles or anything like that today, but it is interesting to me that we look in all these different places for advice and insight on how to deal with our money. And often we ignore God's word and God's word has a lot to say about money. If you look at the conversations Jesus had with people in the New Testament, so many of those conversations involved money. So we, we say all the time, you know, at our church that our core value, number one, is we look to God and his word and all that we do. Our money shouldn't be any different.
0: Well, yeah, and one of the first things that God says in his word is he draws a distinction between stewardship and ownership. So, young man, I want you to think about this. Do you do you view yourself as someone who owns your money, or are you a steward of your money and God's the one who owns it? Because that's the critical difference. Psalm 50, it says this, in verse 10, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. And so, John, let's, as we unpack how God wants us to view money, I think it really starts with this, right? The difference between being a steward of your money or being the one who actually owns it. What does the Bible say?
1: Yeah, I think if we get this wrong, Brian, then everything else we're going to talk about on today's podcast will just cause you frustration it will just create anxiety in you. But the reality is everything belongs to God. His word says that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. The very breath in my lungs is given to me by him. And so when I recognize it's not my money, they're not my resources, in reality, they're all God's resources. He has just asked me to steward those, or another word would be he's asked me to manage those. It gives me a totally different perspective. And, and at the beginning, I, I remember making that transition in my mind many years ago. I was actually a young guy in my late teens, kind of the first job I had. For whatever reason, God in his grace and in his mercy helped me to understand that it was his money, and I was just being a steward of it. And that has taken away so much anxiety over the course of my life. Because if they're my resources, they're limited, right? All of us have limited resources. God has unlimited resources. And so he's, he's asked me to manage what he's entrusted to me. He's asked me to be faithful in managing a little. And he may ask me to manage more as I show myself faithful. I think about the parables of the talents in Scripture When we are faithful with little, then often God will give us more to be faithful with. And I do want to make sure for our listeners that I make sure I stress, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying that if you and I are faithful with a little, then all of a sudden he's going to promise to bless us financially. That's not what I'm getting at. But there is a principle in the Bible of being faithful with what God has given us. And when we are, he gives us more. And that's not just our money, right, Brian? That's our talents. That's our time. That's everything. It's all God's. Well, yeah, because some people might even be listening to this saying, Hey, hold on a second. I worked really
0: hard to create my wealth. Some young men might be thinking about that right now, saying, Look, I went I paid good money to go to college so that I could get a good job. So you know, don't I get some credit here? Is are you sure I'm just a steward? I feel like I took a lot of ownership. We usually talk about ownership in a good way. Like You should take ownership of your life and you should take ownership of your finances. And in a certain sense, that's true. But really, the more biblical way to view this is that we're managing what God has given us and not just money, right? But also the talents that we have that allows us to make money.
1: Yeah. For the person who would push back and talk about my hard work or my talents and my abilities created this wealth, I would ask them who gave you those talents? Who gave you those abilities? Who allowed you to be in that position to be able to earn an income, God gave all of that to you because God is a good gift giver. In fact, James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God isn't stingy, Our God is anything but a stingy God. He is a generous giver, and anytime we doubt that, I would just encourage people to look at the cross, you know, God's a God that has always put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, since we're on this topic of money.
0: Yeah, no, I know for my kids, when whenever <clears throat> we went to the store and AJ would say, hey, could I, could I buy this? You know, when he was young, he always loved the Matchbox car. Dad, can I get this Matchbox car? And if I said sure too quickly, he looked at me with some suspicion because he realized that I might be talking about him buying it with his own money. And when it when it was buying it with my money, he the decision was easy because it was my money that was going to buy him the gift. But whenever he wanted something and he had to pay for it himself, it was a lot harder, that was a harder decision for him, do I really want to pay for this out of my own money? And that's really that's kind of a helpful way when we talk about giving here in a little bit. It's helpful to keep that in mind. That look at how easy it was for AJ to spend my money, because because he wasn't he wasn't in charge of my money, and that it really even frees us up when we view when we view our income, when we view what God blesses us with, when we view it as being a manager of that money. It f- actually, as we're going to see, it frees us up then to be more generous with it. I mean, not just to trust Him more, like you said, John. That that he's he has unlimited resources. But even beyond that, then it trusts us to just say, you say in your word to be generous, and so I'm going to be generous because you are. And it's your money anyway. So it's so easy. Once you really flip your perspective on that, it's so easy to be generous when you recognize it's actually God's money in the first place.
1: Right, because when it when it is God's money and we're managing it, one of the questions we ask ourselves is, how would God manage it? How would God use this resource? And we know, again, how generous God is. So God's going to use that resource to meet needs. You know, God's going to use that resource to to bless people. And so when we do have that perspective that I'm just managing God's money, we tend to use it the way God would use it instead of using it just for selfish purposes. And that, obviously, Brian, that doesn't mean that we never spend money on ourselves. It doesn't mean that you know we can't have a nice dinner with our family from time to time. It doesn't mean that you know we can't take our kids on a vacation, but we don't make it all about that. You know, we we don't make hmm. we don't make money either the the end thing or a means just to please ourselves. That's typically the mentality that we have when we look at it as our money. But when we recognize we're managing God's money, normally that doesn't play out that way.
0: Let's take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 12. If you're listening at home, you can open up to verses 13 to 34. It's a big passage. This is one of those passages, John, like you said, where Jesus is specifically teaching us about money. And he did this a ton. It says, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus responded like this, he said, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware guard against every kind of greed life is not measured by how much you own okay so there's a principle verse 15 life is not measured by how much you own keep that in mind guys we're going to come back to that and then he told him a story he always did this jesus would tell parables or stories to drive the home drive the point home he says a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops and he said to himself what should i do i don't have room for all my crops and then he said i know i'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And then Jesus ends like this. Yes. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, John, help us to understand this, because to me, this just is a perfect passage for a young man to wrestle with as as he begins to think about how he's going to handle money for the rest of his life.
1: Well, it's interesting. We didn't read the larger context, but if we would have backed up a couple of verses, Brian, Jesus is in the midst of teaching some very heavy, like deep theological, kind of doctrinal foundational things. And in the midst of that, this guy yells out from the crowd, hey, tell my brother to divide father's fo- estate with me. He's not even really focusing in on what Jesus is trying to, to teach because he's hung up on money. He's hung up on possessions. He's hung up on this inheritance. And as you said, Jesus says, hey, beware. You need to guard against every kind of greed. In other words, it will naturally kind of seep its way into your life if you're not Attentive if you're not intentional. So you've got to guard against it. You have to take action. And he reminds him, he says, Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes on and tells the story about the rich farmer. And there's a couple of things that jump out at me about the farmer. The first thing is there's no display of gratitude in the rich farmer. We just talked about being a steward versus an owner. Clearly, the farmer acted like an owner. He acted like they were his crops. He acted like it was his money. He talked about his barns. And so there's nothing in the response of the farmer that says, you know, God, thank you for blessing me with this harvest. God, thank you for allowing my crops to grow and and be productive. There's no thought of asking God, hey, God, how can I use this bounty to glorify you? How, How can I use this abundance to bless others? Instead, it's all selfish. And the thing that's scary to me is the farmer's response. Doesn't that sound like the American dream that you and I are being sold on? Make all you can while you're young, get all the toys, and then you can just sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, that sounds like the American dream. And Jesus said, it's foolish. He said, you're being a fool. You're working hard for all this wealth. And who knows, your life may be taken tonight. And then who's going to enjoy it?
0: Yeah, I think about young men, you know, uh, so many young men... uh, it's it's a case of understanding w- where your identity is, right? That's what Jesus is putting his finger on here in verse 15. Life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, what you make, where you work. Now, Jesus isn't saying it's insignificant. He's just saying it's not the most important thing about you. It doesn't define you. So many young men find their security in their bank account or the car that they drive. And really, that's why so many young men and old guys too, end up spending more than they should because they're trying to put across an image for other people to see, and it actually gets them into all kinds of financial trouble. So really, it goes all the way back to this root issue for so many young people is who, what defines me? How am I defined? And again, as a man, so many men, probably more than women, feel this pressure to be defined by what you make, how much you own, you know, the cars you own, the houses you own, whatever. And I love that Jesus has given this example that helps us to zoom out and understand that the most important thing, verse 21, the most important thing is to have a rich relationship with God. And I love that he uses that word. He says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And again, Jesus isn't saying, you're a fool to store up earthly wealth. I want to make sure our young young men hear this. He's not saying you're foolish to make a lot of money or have a lot of money or save money. He's not saying that's foolish. What's foolish is to do all of that without having a relationship with God. In other words, what's foolish is to make that the mo- most important thing, and the relationship with God is kind of on the side. It's on the fringe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the period of that sentence is not after the word wealth. I love that you pointed that out, Brian. He doesn't say a person is a fool to store earthly wealth. Period. You know, end of the statement. No, Earth, there's nothing wrong with earthly wealth in and of itself, right? We've we've had other conversations, other conversations on the Pursue God Library about money. Money in and of itself is neutral. It's not good or evil. It, it's just a tool. But our attitude towards that money can either honor God or not honor God. And so he says, hey, if if you're throwing up earthly wealth, but you don't have a rich relationship with God, you're a fool.
0: And then verse 22, he turns to his disciples and he said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? That's a great verse for people who have anxiety over money. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? It's interesting, John, that he's connecting this to faith. It's easy for us to think about faith in terms of all these other areas of our life. But really, Jesus is saying you need faith even in the financial, in the financial arena of your life. So he says, <clears throat> don't be concerned about what to eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. These things, verse 30, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world but your Father already knows your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. John, these passages, again, these verses are just so to the point. Jesus is saying some pretty radical stuff here.
1: Well, yeah, Jesus is telling these disciples not to worry about basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, Can you imagine what he would say to the average believer, particularly in the United States of America today, who worries about money? (laughs) Like like I would bet none of our listeners or very few of our listeners worried about food this week and trying to pick between Olive Garden and Texas Roadhouse doesn't count. (laughs) Like, I mean, if you truly (laughs) worried whether or not you would get to eat today, there's probably only a handful of listeners who can honestly say that. So if Jesus said, don't even worry about that, don't worry about having basic necessities like food, clothing, and shelter, what would he say to us? Because our our worries are you know, whether or not my child can go to a $80,000 a year private college versus the state school, or whether, in my case, my daughter can play club volleyball on the top team instead of the, the middle team because the extra couple of thousand dollars a year, it costs her to do that. And I mean, look, I don't want to act like those aren't you know, tough decisions that we have to make sometimes in our life, Brian, but we sure spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that just doesn't mean anything. And definitely God is calling us to trust Him in this area. Jesus says these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And so if we were to take an honest assessment for all the men that are listening to this podcast, if you really thought about what dominates your thoughts, when, when it's quiet, when you have a spare moment, when, when you're driving in the car, what are you thinking about most of the time? Are you thinking about the things of God? Are you thinking about expanding His kingdom, about worshiping Him, about hearing from Him? Or are you thinking about the things of the world? Are you thinking about money? Are you thinking about possessions? Are you thinking about that upcoming vacation? And if you're not sure, I, you know, I would take an inventory, like take an inventory. How how many times in the last couple of weeks, have you looked at your 401k balance or have you pulled up your banking information to see where things are? You know, how many times have you looked at your calendar about that upcoming vacation? Like what is dominating your thoughts? Yeah. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else,
0: and he'll give you everything you need. What a, what a great, remember that most people have heard of that verse before, but he really is talking about that in the context of money. So he's saying prioritize the kingdom of God first and foremost, and the rest will just take care of itself. And I, you know, I think about this in my own life. It really, that really is so true that I've Tracy and I have been, we're not perfect in this area, but we've really tried to make giving to the kingdom of God, the most important thing. Like, one of our goals years ago, one of our goals was that there was no check that we wrote on a monthly basis that was higher than our check to our local church of the kingdom of God, basically, right? So if we categorize, you know, you look at a budget um, budget spreadsheet and you look at giving and mortgage and car payment and entertainment and cable bill and what, you know, food, grocery bill, whatever. So listeners think about that list and and ask yourself, where does giving land? Is it in the top five? Is it in the top ten? Well, one of our goals, based on this verse, seek the kingdom of God above all else. One of our goals was to make sure that the giving category was the highest category. And, and John, that was at first that was hard to do. We didn't make very good money in our early years of marriage and ministry. And eventually, we started finally being able to make a little bit more money, and we we finally got to that point where giving was even higher than our mortgage. So I want young people at home as we're thinking about this, I want you to think about your rent payment or your mortgage payment and think about that in relationship to the your giving that you do. And and again, I know that for most people your giving's not even going to come close and for me it didn't either at first. But we really tried to make this a goal in our lives and I can say that we we got there. Now we're at a place. And and so much of this is because I feel like God has provided for our needs. We would never have guessed that we would be in the financial position that we're in right now. And it's because we've really tried to honor God in the way we did our money. And then pretty soon you look at it and you say, man, God has really blessed us. And yet we still give such a big portion of our money back to him. Now, again, I'm not I'm not trying to say Look, if you give, God owes it to you, because I think that's dangerously close to prosperity gospel. So I I don't think your mentality, young people, should be that I'm going to give back to God because he's going to give back even more to me. I think that's the wrong motive. I think the proper motive is to say, I want to honor God in my giving, and then I'm going to trust what he says here in verse 31, that he's going to give me everything I need. And that has been true in my life.
1: Well, that ties back to our first principle, right? That idea of stewarding versus owning so it really is that I'm giving back to God it's it's God's anyway it, it's his resource it's his money I, i'm just i'm just resourcing it or stewarding it back to him and for his kingdom and i think that's i think that's super important it's interesting to me i think this is an area in my life where i've i've grown in my faith probably as much as any area and yet it's still a battle there are still times when i sense that that little bit of anxiety coming up, like, is God really going to meet our needs? And it's crazy to me because he always has. You know, Brian, you actually gave a sermon years ago when I first started attending our church, the church where I'm a pastor at now. And, and you talked about getting better in this gift of giving. And, and you talked about how Paul encouraged the Corinthians to do that. And I'll just confess, up to that point in my life, I had always been kind of a tithe guy. Um, I'd I'd always just given 10% and I didn't think much of it. I I gave it off the top, which I think is important. And I, and I regularly and, and consistently, we always gave 10%, but I was actually very selfish in those years because instead of looking at it as God's money and managing God's resource, I was looking at it as my money. And I was like, Hey man, I already gave my 10%. So don't go asking for more and And so, I was hmm. often very stingy when other needs arose. And now, you know we have felt my wife and I have felt god to to call us to to do a higher than ten percent. Uh, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but even more than that, we've tried to be better at being sensitive to when He calls us to give outside of that. And so it's an area where we're still growing in our faith. You know we're still learning how to really trust God in that, but he has been so faithful. I mean, we could have a four-hour podcast if I were to share all the mm-hmm. stories of how God has literally, miraculously, brought money out of thin air to my family over the years, so that we were always taken care of.
0: Well, and there's more, even more to this passage. Again, we've been reading in Luke chapter twelve. It's such a great passage for young men to meditate on, pray about, journal on. But he, he fin- Jesus, finishes by saying this: "Don't be afraid, little flock." You notice he's touching on these themes of anxiety and fear. And he's just saying, don't be afraid, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And then he says, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. And he says this in verse 34, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart Will also be, and John, I you know, when I think about that verse, that verse really jumps out at me. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Here's what it's saying to me: It's saying, your heart, what you fall in love with, follows what you invest in. It's like what you said earlier that if you and in- if you are investing only in your 401k. You're going to be focused on those particular stocks that you're investing in. I do the same thing, right? I've got a ticker and I get to follow the stuff that I'm investing in. Well, the same thing works. If you invest in the kingdom of God, you're going to be more and more focused on the kingdom of God. You're going to fall more and more in love with Jesus. So some of you young people out there, if you feel disconnected from God, one of the things you might try to do is give more because where your treasure is, there your heart will eventually
1: and we're not giving more to earn God's approval, right? That is one thing we want to make sure we're clear about. You giving more doesn't mean now God loves you more. But there is a principle right here in verse 34. And I, even someone who's not a believer, even someone who's secular, I don't think would argue with this verse. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And we, we see that everywhere. If someone... Spends a lot of money on fishing and hunting equipment like a guy like myself might want to do. That's that's where your heart is. That's that's where you spend your time. That's what you're thinking about. So this biblical principle absolutely plays itself out in the real world day after day after day.
0: Okay, so John, let's get practical again. I, we're envisioning that a lot of young men will be talking about this with their dad or with their young men's group. I'm gonna I'm gonna be going through this conversation with the young guys that I disciple. I wanna I wanna give some really practical tips here, kind of some Dave Ramsey like tips. I you know I think about Dave Ramsey, and every anytime I would listen to him, I'm like I don't know understand what the big deal is. He's saying the same stuff my dad taught me. But then I realized that most people didn't have a dad like that. Most people didn't have a Dave Ramsey type dad who really taught good, solid principles. I'm blessed that I had that. And so for some young guys out there, maybe they see their parents just spending, spending, spending. Their parents are in debt. And so let's get really practical and give some godly wisdom to the young men here. Proverbs 22 7 says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. So let's talk John, what would you say to young guys about debt?
1: Well, I I just want to maybe book in this Brian with the statement that discipline and generosity are a powerful combination that will bring victory in your finances. I would avoid debt like the plague. Now I I recognize particularly in in our Country and our culture right now, it's probably unlikely that many of our listeners would be able to buy a house without going into debt, without having a mortgage. But outside of that, young men, I would do everything I could to avoid debt. One of the ways to do that is you need to understand the principle of delayed gratification. It is amazing to me how so many young couples, young singles too, but particularly young couples, have the attitude that they deserve to live in the same level of house and drive the same level of automobiles that their parents have now, that their parents who are now in their 40s and 50s, who've been working hard for 30 to 40 years, who've been grinding it out and saving money, etc., they think that as a 21 or 22-year-old, I should live in the same level of house, drive the same type of car that my mom and dad do. That just wasn't a thought when I was growing up. I don't know what it was like for you, Brian. We're close to the same age, but I recognized that, that I wasn't going to have the type of home and the type of car my mom and dad had as a 22-year-old. <laughs> I was going to have to start smaller and you know, over time build up. And again, not even that the nicer house or the nicer car, that's not the end goal. That's not the end-all be-all. Uh, but delayed gratification is so important. Do not go into debt to get the things that you think you should have.
0: Yeah, I remember when Tracy and I first got married, John. We probably made together less than twenty thousand dollars a year. Now, this was back in the day; that was more than what it would be now, but still. I remember one night she said, "Hey, let's go grab dinner somewhere." I'm like, "What do you mean? Where, where, where would we grab dinner? Like, we why don't we eat eat in?" and she she had kind of gotten used to eating out with her parents um before we got married she was used to that kind of a lifestyle because like you said John her parents had already earned that lifestyle they had that kind of income that extra income to be able to spend a little bit more and go out to dinner a few times a week or whatever we had already gone out to dinner the week before and in my again i had I had a different view of this in my mind. I said, we only have so much money and there's no way we could go out to eat on any kind of a regular basis. And she, Tracy was great about that. She, she had kind of snapped to and recognized yeah, wait a second, we're not there yet in our, in our budget. Now today we are, today we are, we're empty nesters now. And today we could, we do go out to eat more than we did when we were first married, but it's, it's so true, John, people have to learn to, be disciplined, especially in those early years. And it'll, hopefully it'll pay off for you. That's what delayed gratification is. You're going to, how does Ramsey say it? That if live, live like nobody today and you'll live like nobody tomorrow or something like that, like discipline yourself now. And you'll be so glad that you did, you know, 30 years down the road. And, And that really is, has come true for Tracy and myself.
1: One of the key things to being disciplined is being on a budget. And I know, as I say that, I can hear the collective cringe across our audience. I I hear the groan, oh, you know, who wants to do a budget? It's time consuming and it's it is time consuming for sure. I agree with that, at least originally when you're setting it up. But if you don't have some parameters in place, if you don't have some guidelines about like we were just talking about to what you're willing to spend a month eating out to what you're willing to spend a month on internet or cable, if you don't have those guidelines in place, you'll end up going over in just about every category. And for the men that are listening today that, you know, maybe you're a dad and your kids are really young, I would just encourage you, it's never too early to start educating your kids on how to money God's way. I mean, from the time our kids were literally five and six years old, when they would get birthday money, when they would get allowance money, and we didn't get into, you know, budgeting, but we would say, look, this is God's money. You're just managing it. And there, there's three, three things we want you to think about. We want you to think about saving some of it. We want you to think about sharing some of it. And then we want you to think about spending some of it. So, you know, when our kids are real little and grandma and grandpa would give them $10 for their birthday or $20 for their birthday, You know, we had to we had to help them understand, like, you're not going to go blow twenty dollars on yourself. We're going to take a percentage of that and you're going to put it in your save pile and you're going to save, whether that's for school or for your first car or for, you know, something nice that you really want. And then we're going to take some money and we're going to put it in your share pile. We're going to give that away. Either we're going to give it to God's kingdom or we're going to give it to someone that we know is in need and needs some help. And then the third column is, hey, that you can do whatever you want. Whether you can spend that on your own, you know, kind of selfish desires. And our kids understood that. Now they're not perfect at it by any means. You know, they're still growing in their grace and gift of giving. But it's never too early, dads, to talk to your kids about how to money the right way.
0: Well, yeah, and young man, if you didn't, if you didn't have those lessons, I'm just envisioning that, John, right now that you that, that your kid gets a ten dollar bill, you you change it into 10 $1 bills, right? I mean, think about how that must have felt to the kid to say, I want you to take one of those and share it, give it to kids church this week. And I want to take, I want you to take one or maybe two of those and I'm you're going to put it in your piggy bank to save it for when you're older. I think if you teach that to a kid at that age, they they're looking at that and they've still got seven or eight dollars to go spend. I think it would really change their perspective and think, "Wow, how I only had to give one of them to church? I only had to put away one or two of them in the piggy piggy bank? Wow, how generous God is," right? It, that's a great idea, that's a great example, but again, a lot of young men listening to this would say, "I've never even thought about it like that." And again, I can relate to that because when, before I was married, I wasn't very intentional with my money, and that's one of our goals with this conversation, John, is that we help young men get intentional today. Now, you know, we, we pastor ch- some churches and, and we know that most of the giving comes from families. Most of the giving comes comes from married couples. How cool would it be if young men were strong givers in your church? How cool would it be if you would learn this principle early on in your life, this principle of sharing and saving and spending and by the way, we're going to we'll include a link to a budget spreadsheet, a real simple budget spreadsheet, because I'm with you, John. I think a, I'm not a big budgeter kind of a guy. I think the biggest thing for a budget is to know where your stuff is going, because guys, you'll be shocked at how much money you're spending on stupid things. You, You know, some of you young men might spend more money. This is going to be embarrassing to you. You might spend more money on Red Bull than on the kingdom of God. I don't know if I'd want to stand in front of Jesus and answer that question. <laughs> you know, let's look, let's pull up how much you, you know, if you, I know that this kind of a thing, you get, you go to a gas station, you get gas and you go get a Red Bull or, or a coffee or whatever. I mean, you're spending five bucks a pop on something like that. You do that a few times a week. Again, add that up and look at that compared to your giving to the kingdom of God. I think you probably would be embarrassed. So young man, it's not about, shaming you into this. It's just really about learning early that, that budgeting in a godly way is something that you can do. It's not as hard as you think, and it's going to pay huge dividends in the end.
1: Well, Brian, that, that statement you just made would have been extremely convicting to me eight, nine, 10 years ago. Um, that there were months when our eating out budget especially if I included all my gas station stops so I, I am a mountain dew connoisseur if I if I'm driving more than 10 miles somewhere I can pretty much guarantee I've got a mountain dew in the console of the car there were months that our eating out budget and our our you know gas station convenience food food was more than we were giving to the kingdom of god and so again back to that sermon I heard you give 10 12 years ago that that changed the way I look at giving and and now our our giving to the kingdom of God is is the highest line item each month, just barely, <laughs> but but it is, and and we hope to continue to grow in that. We're not empty nesters yet, but I I honestly look forward to the day, in in a sense, when I can spend less money on my kids and I have more money to spend on the kingdom. And uh, so, guys, it's not, it it's not, and it's discipline but you're not going to look back and feel like you're lacking. I, I will say this, this, and this is a true statement. I have never at the end of the year, when I got my giving statement from, from the church that I give to, from our church, I have never looked back at that and thought, oh man, I could have really bought a nice boat with that money. Or I could have really gone on a nice vacation. Never, ever. God has always filled me with, with joy and with excitement that he's allowed me to partner in in the kingdom, that he's allowed me to take his resources, they're not even mine, and give some of those resources back to him to be used to change the eternity of people around me. That's a pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, right, it's kind of like that kid with $8 bills, 7 or $8 bills to spend. I just, I look at our budget on a monthly basis and I'm just like, I just said, God, i I can't believe you allow me you allow us to keep so much of your money. It just seems so over the top and so generous. Again, I know that not everyone views it that way, but that really is how we view it. Like you're so generous. Thank you that you're so generous to us. And, you know, for us, it's part of it is just thinking about, thinking about the future, thinking about um, even retirement, which I have mixed feelings on. I feel like the goal shouldn't be to retire well. I think the goal should be to impact the kingdom of God while we're here, and and reti- the ability to retire will take care of itself. So we we share, we save, and we spend, and we feel like God is God is blessing us for our future. But I think even some people might think of saving even too as too much of an idol. I, you know, a lot of guys maybe would say. I need to do a better job with my spending, probably most guys, but there might be some guys out there who are really good with your money. And it's still an idol for you because you save so much, you're still not giving. So I like, I like John, your three things that share, save and spend. And either of those two saving or spending can become an idol in our lives financially. And so young men need to take a look at that and say, what does what God's word say? Because I want, I want to really honor him.
1: Well, that goes back to the parable Jesus told, right? That's what the rich farmer was doing. He, he made saving an idol. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store more away so then I can kick back and relax in retirement. Essentially, I mean, if we were to put it in the context yeah. of our culture. So obviously I'm an, I'm an advocate for funding your retirement. I think that's important. I think we should be wise with yeah. that. But if that's the most important thing, right? If if what I have saved up for retirement is more important to me than what I've been giving back to the kingdom of God, then that's definitely an idol in my life. John, real
0: quick, Proverbs thirteen eleven talks a little bit about investments. Let's just spend a minute here on investments for young men. It says wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. What's the biblical principle around that? And I know you kind of have a personal story from your early 20s.
1: Yeah, there is this temptation, particularly, I think, for young men, because God has wired in us the desire to be a provider, to, you know, to look out for those, to protect those that we care for. And so there's this tendency to feel like we have to make it fast. Um, And I know a lot of men that are looking for the next kind of get rich quick scheme. And the Bible just says, hey, look, that wealth quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. You know, it really is kind of the tortoise and the hare story whatever your income level is, you know, whether you make 30000 a year or, or 330000 a year, work as unto the glory of God, you know, work for his glory and just stick with it. Just just be steady. Uh, back when I was in my early 20s, I was involved in a series of kind of high risk, high reward investments. And I knew they were high risk and, and all the people that I was basically in sales and recruiting and I recruited a network of financial professionals and, and I communicated to them that they were high risk. So everybody knew that going in. And early on, they 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 were performing really well. We were making a ton of money. I, I made a pretty substantial six-figure income at about 22 years old. Now, fortunately, I didn't live like it. Fortunately, nobody knew the kind of money we were making. My wife and I still drove two beat-up cars. We You know, we're thankful for our home, but we do not have an extravagant home. Long story short, after about three years, most all of those investments started to tank. There were some changes in the market, some changes in some regulatory issues. And one by one, most of those programs began to lose money. And then to, to add insult to injury, many, many people in those programs started filing lawsuits, even though, you know, even though they were told it was high risk. Just because you're telling someone it's high risk, when they start losing their money, it gets personal. So all that money I made in those two to three years, I ended up honestly just going through all of it, either paying people back out of my own pocket to try and make them as close to whole as I could, or paying for attorney's fees, or traveling around the country to go to bankruptcy proceedings. Uh, And it was the hardest emotionally and, and just, it was the hardest two to three years of my life. And man, if I could go back and do it differently, I wouldn't have touched a single one. <laughs> I would have just stayed away from them and, and gone the slow over time route. It would have, uh, you know, I think I aged 15 years over that three year period.
0: Well, and I like what you say here. We're going to kind of end, land the plane here on this. I like this statement. I think this is your, an original from you. It's live simply so others may simply live. And I, you know, it's kind of like that story from the guy who is trying to build bigger barns. Look, it's good to have young man. It's good for you to have a vision for your life. It's good for you to work hard. When I hear that story, John. I'm like, good for you that you would do that at such a young age. But thank God that you didn't live like you, like you could have at that time, which a lot of people would have. Thank God that you had enough wisdom to to still live well be- below your means, so that because you don't know the future. And I think so many people. Scripture even says this: that that wealth has pierced people with many sorrows. Now, Scripture never says that money is bad. A lot of people think that that's yeah, you know, that's a misquoted Bible verse that money is evil. The Bible never says money is evil. The Bible says the love of money is is evil, and is the root of all wickedness. And so, there's such a difference. So we don't. We want to make sure, young guys, that you don't misunderstand what we're saying today in in the podcast. God is not anti-wealth. He's, he's, if anyone out there is listening and you're wealthy, you better believe that's because God made you wealthy. God blessed you. And I hope you recognize that and acknowledge that he's not anti-wealth. He doesn't want to make you poor, but more than anything else, he wants to make sure that your wealth
1: isn't just temporary wealth. I love that about God personally, but that's, you know, one of the things that just enamors me with God's character is his generosity. You know, back to the parable that we talked about, Jesus said, I want you to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Because the purses in heaven, they don't get old. They don't develop holes. Your treasure is going to be safe. No one can steal it. No moth can destroy it. No attorney is going to take it away. <laughs> I mean, and and that's that's a beautiful thing to me. And I don't know exactly what that treasure in heaven looks like. Because to me, just being in the presence of Jesus is all the treasure I could ever imagine, right? But there's There's something about it because Jesus talks a lot about storing up treasures in heaven. And so, yeah, God is not anti-wealth at all, but God wants more than anything for you to have wealth that's eternal. He knows that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so when he has our treasure, he's also going to have our heart. And I love that God wants us to enjoy riches that last forever, not the ones that waste away or get destroyed. And like I think even for me, you know, Brian when when I was called to go into full-time ministry, um we didn't live a lavish lifestyle and so we were able to we were able to answer that call without making a ton of changes. Now, I've been super blessed, you know, um the, the church where I pastor is extremely generous, um and I probably make more money now than I did in the secular industry when I left to go into ministry, but, but that wasn't the case the first couple of years, you know, we took a pay cut to go into ministry. Um, and I'm so thankful that we lived simply so that we could do that. Cause I can't imagine missing out on all the blessings that God has poured over me and my family by being able to be in ministry full time. I mean, honestly, there, <laughs> there are some days I pinch myself, like I actually make a living telling people about Jesus and helping people pursue God. It's the coolest thing ever. And we were able to do that because we lived a pretty simple lifestyle.
0: So that's how to money. That's how to think about money and budgeting and giving. And remember, don't just take your cues from Robert Kiyosaki or Dave Ramsey even. Take it from God's word because God's word shows you the way to have real freedom in your finances. Now to talk about this with your family or small group, your men's group or your mentor You can find all these resources at PursueGod.org forward slash men.